Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We have a very frequent guest back with us again this week. That's Dr. Mike Walden. Dr. Walden, of course, has been on the program numerous times. He is now the Professor Emeritus of Economics at North Carolina State University. He held the uh, William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor position for years. But uh, while he is retired from uh, his uh, role as a professor, he is still very active in uh, looking at uh, the economics of North Carolina, and, and we're so delighted that he will share time with us and bring us up to date on exactly where we are. Uh, you, you know, I guess this is sort of a moving target, but Dr. Baldwin, I, you know, it, it seems like that the things that we were all anticipating that will happen that are either happening slower or not happening at all. Uh, why don't you sort of bring us up to date on where you see the state of North Carolina and in particular uh, the state of North Carolina from an economic point of view? Well, first, Don, thanks for having me on the program and, and appreciate that nice introduction. Uh, yeah, the, the economy has not been moving in a direction that a lot of economists uh, thought. Uh, there were some economists who thought by now we would start to see uh, in an aggregate uh, some shedding of jobs. We'd start to see the unemployment rate nudge up. Instead, we've been going just the opposite. Uh, look at the January numbers. These are national numbers. We don't have January numbers yet for North Carolina. But we had half a million new, new people take jobs. And uh, that was double what economists were thinking. Unemployment rate is down nationally to 3.4%. I think that's the lowest in 50 years. So actually, it looks like the economy has been strengthening rather than weakening. There are some other numbers that suggest, though, that we are seeing some weakening. For example, manufacturing production has been falling, and that tends to be a leading indicator. Although consumers were uh, were very healthy in their buying in, in um, January, there have been some downward trends in previous months. The national leading index uh, has been trending downward. I do a comparable index from North Carolina. It has been trending downward. So I would still be of the mind right now. Uh, I could change before I go to bed tonight, but I'm still of the mind right now that we're probably headed at least for a slowdown. Slowdown doesn't mean recession. Slowdown just means you're growing at a slower pace. It's sort of comparable to the car driving at 60 miles an hour, and then you cut the speed down to 30 miles an hour, but you're still going in a, in a positive direction to your destination. Uh, recession in that analogy would be that your car stops and actually goes backwards. Uh, so I think we're at least going to see a slowdown. Uh, I still think there's a very good chance also that we'll have a recession defined by a, a contraction in economic output at the national level, and this would be both for products and services. But I don't think if we have a recession, Don, and this is good news, that we're going to have a devastated uh, job market. Uh, of course, COVID was a special situation. Unemployment went up to 14 percent. But in a lot of ways, COVID was was necessary for us to slow down the economy so that we would um, control the spread of the virus. If you go back to uh, a nor what I'll call a normal, in quotes, recession, the so-called um, uh, subprime recession in 2008, 2009, uh, unemployment in North Carolina was got over to be got over 10 percent, and actually it stayed there for about uh, three or four years. Uh, that was when people were talking about, "Gosh, is unemployment at this level? Is this the new normal?" 
So I don't think we're going to approach anything like that. I think if we do have a rise in unemployment, let's say North Carolina gets to the mid threes, just like the nation, maybe we'll get up to four and a half and five. So I, I think the good news is that at least the job market will will be spared a major devastating hit if we do have a recession. Well, it's a it's an interesting uh, situation, and it, it just seems to be that uh, the economy sort of has a mind of its own. And of course, we here in North Carolina are experiencing a lot of announcements of jobs mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. high paying jobs. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's also kind of confusing when you hear others talk about maybe we're going to slow down because I'm not sure how. I mean, usually there's a slowdown in construction, isn't there, when there's a recession? Uh, yes, there definitely is. Now, we have seen home sales uh, slow down. Nationally, we've seen construction slow down. Uh, we've seen a little bit. I, I actually talked to uh, construction people uh, last week, and um, they're still trying to build, but um, it's hard for them to get labor. That's a big problem. That's a big difference in this period of time with this recession. A normal situation at this point in time, we'd have pretty much uh, uh, businesses say, hey, we're all full up, and there will still be people out there wanting to work. We've got the exact opposite situation now. We have businesses, they're, st they're still, we're down a little bit from when you, you would commonly hear, well, we got two job openings for every unemployed person. It's down to 1.7 for every, un every unemployed person, but that's still very, very high traditionally. So we really have the opposite situation in the labor market where businesses are still, on ag in aggregate now, businesses are still wanting to hire and they can't find enough people to, to fill those jobs. I think that's playing into what we're seeing in the overall economy. And I think that's one reason why the labor market, if we do have a, a, an official downturn in the economy, a recession, I think the labor market will not be clobbered. Let's talk about the other word that uh, we hear and have been hearing now for some time that, that, that does have some legs to it, and that's the I word, the inflation word, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but there's uh, probably a little bit more good news there than there is bad news as far as current situation. Well, the, the pain has, has been reduced a little bit. I mean, the, the pain has not been going away. We have seen the year-over-year uh, -year inflation rate, which is normally how economists look at it, uh, fall from, it looked, hopefully it's the peak, the peak we had in June, 9.1%. The latest reading is 6.4%, so it looks like we're headed in, in the right direction. Uh, largely, in my view, that was ca that's caused by the fact the supply chain is pretty well fixed. There's still some, some uh, crinks in there, but the supply chain is pretty well fixed. I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, Don, the reason we had this explosion in inflation is uh, we came out of the of the uh, pandemic, came out of the uh, pandemic recession. The federal government had flooded the economy. This is under two administrations now, so this is not partisan. The, the federal government had flooded the economy with money, uh, com really compliments of the Federal Reserve. So people had money to spend, businesses had money to spend, and yet when they tried to spend that, uh, this is late 2020, early 2020, there was, it was, there was a, not enough to buy because of the supply chain problem. So I think that fundamentally was why we had this big jump in inflation. You know, Ukraine contributed a little bit, but no, I think the, the, the money situation was the main reason. But now with the supply chain back and with that excess money, a lot of it having been spent, I do think those are the two major reasons why we're seeing some easing in the inflation rate. And let me quickly say, Don, because so your listeners aren't mistaken, when you hear someone say, 
the inflation rate is lower. I have found that a lot of people think, oh, that means prices are going down. No, it just means prices are going up at a less steep level. And indeed, the Federal Reserve does not want prices to go down. They're targeting a 2% inflation rate, which means on average prices go up 2%, which has been pretty normal until we got to the pandemic. So uh, I think, yes, we are on the right track for inflation. It looks like we're headed downward. There's some forecasts for maybe the end of this year, uh, 4%, maybe 3% if we're lucky. But I think until we get there, the Federal Reserve is still going to be pushing up interest rates. I think they were a little disappointed with, uh, although it was slightly lower with the January inflation rate. So I think they're going to continue to raise interest rates, which, of course, is designed to, to uh, motivate people not to borrow money and not to spend. Where the average person saw the supply uh, supply problem, uh, I guess, manifest itself is the uh, car lots because car dealers mm -hmm. could not get sufficient numbers of used cars. What are you hearing about when that uh, situation has come to a better resolution for the for the buying public? Well, it is better. Uh, there, there was actually, if you looked at the inflation report in January, there was, I think, a slight de decline in car prices. And again, mainly that's a supply situation. Again, this goes back to the supply chain problems. So uh, on the supply side, we're getting much, much better. Uh, people are still trying to spend. And we need to have those two sort of uh, level off equally before we get the inflation rate down. And the big question, Don, is whether we can whether the, this is really a federal reserve uh task uh, in fact president biden i think six months ago when he was asked about inflation he said well uh there's th some things we can do in administration but it's mainly in the hands of the federal reserve and he was absolutely right the federal reserve is trying to slow the economic engine down in order to cool inflation i always tell people think of inflation as a as a pot of water that's boiling over and you want to turn down that heat a little bit and but they want to try to do that without causing a recession that's called it's called a soft landing but that's a tough needle to thread it has been done alan greenspan did it twice in the 90s but uh if they can pull that off i will clap my hands very robustly for jay Powell and his fellow uh, federal reserve governors so we can i think hold out hope that that will occur but it's certainly not a sure thing it will well, it, it, and of course, the supply chain went far beyond just that, because I know heating and air conditioning uh, dealers were having difficulty getting supply mm -hmm. parts. And, and uh, uh, we heard this all over the place, no matter what it was. Well, I, you know, I don't have that in stock. I don't have this in stock. And uh, that monkeys up the economy uh, because oh, oh, people want to buy, but oh, can't buy. Yeah, absolutely. And a, and a big part of this, of course, was China. China was hit. Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, criticism of China with uh, whether COVID started there or not. But China's factories were hit very, very hard and they were closed down. And indeed, they went back into shutdown mode about six months ago. They've come out of it. So uh, but it looks like we're headed for norm more normal situation. Uh, I would encourage people who want to buy things to go out and try to buy them. But I think the major problem, Don, and, and maybe we can talk about this in the future segment, the major problem in holding things back in terms of getting them up for sale is now labor. Uh, when I talked to my construction friends, they, the first issue out of their mouth was, Mike, when is the labor market going to get better? We, we just can't keep, we can hire people, we just can't keep them. You hear the same thing from manufacturing. You hear the same thing from restaurants. So labor is right now, I think, the big issue. It's replaced supply chain. 
Uh, we want to spend a good bit of time in one of the future segments talking about China because our relations with China don't seem to be getting much better politically. And of course, we are so tied to them economically and they to us yes. that uh, I will be very interested in hearing how you feel like that this may ultimately resolve itself and what the relationships are. And, and in particular, also then throw in where does India fit into all this? Because, of course, we, you mm -hmm. know, we've, we've talked so much about China that we fail to remember that India is a, you know, rivals in size and rivals in importance. And our relationships with India just are not discussed nearly as much as uh, our relationships with uh, both China and, for that matter, Russia. Well, you're absolutely right. I think you, you've made a very, very astute and important point that India, India, I think, is the key country for the future. They're actually uh, going to overtake China in terms of population. They've really gotten their economy in shape. They were a very uh, government heavy handed economy. Now they've introduced more competition. There's some technology companies are starting to move there. So, yeah, I think India is really the country to watch. But you're absolutely right about China. We've got not just economic competition with China. Now we have uh, geopolitical competition, and they're talking about getting involved in the Ukraine war. So that, that, I think, is very, very, very worrisome. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, Dr. Mike Walden, who has uh, been with us I don't know how many times. And if you'd like to go back and hear a number of the uh, comments of Dr. Walden through the years, you can do that because on Carolina Newsmakers, we have a complete uh, library of all the formal broadcasts. And uh, I don't know how many times he's been on. Jason, you ought to count that up sometime and just... So that I can say he's been on the program X number of times and know for sure how many it is. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, two things that are very important to consumers uh, that they seem to be uh, always uh, interested in. And one is gas prices and the other is interest rates. Uh, so let's talk about gas prices. Uh, 
that also seems to be a a uh, category that seems to sort of have a mind of its own. I'm not I'm not sure I understand sometimes why gas prices go up and then conversely, I'm not sure why they go down sometimes. Well, let's go back memory lane a little bit. And um, gosh, was it a year and a half ago? I think about a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, something like that. Gas prices around three dollars a gallon. Then we hit the the uh, the, the uh, um, volcano, if you will, in gas prices. I think in the summer, my memory serves me of uh, 2022, We got up to this is national average. Got up to over five dollars a gallon. Right now, we're down around the low threes, three twenty, three twenty five, three thirty. So there's been improvement there. Uh, everything done in economics comes down to supply and demand, and the problem with the, the gasoline market is, number one, when people started to uncocoon, get out, and they had money to spend, again, compliments of the $5.5 trillion that, again, two administrations pushed into the economy. They had money to spend, and they were trying to spend it uh, in part, and part of that spending would go to gasoline, travel, et cetera. People had been cooped up. But that was still the time when we had problems partially tied to the supply chain, with the supply of oil. Now, the supply of oil, which of course is where gasoline is derived, unfortunately is not a free market. You've got OPEC, which is what we call a cartel. You have several companies there that coordinate their production and they can move uh, production up or down. And they were they were liking these high prices, so they were constricting production. Then you had at the beginning of the Ukraine war, um, Russia, uh, we put sanctions on Russia. They couldn't find markets for their for their oil. Uh, and then our production had slumped during the pandemic. Uh, all three of those have, have come back in a positive way to help lower prices. We are now producing more. In fact, we're on record this year to produce more oil than we ever had here in the U.S. Uh, Russia has found other outlets for their oil, so they've really not lost anything. One of those outlets, Don, interestingly, is the country you mentioned, India. And OPEC recently announced they're going to produce a little more. So we have a favorable situation on the supply side, which is, I think, the real reason why we uh, have seen this big plunge in in, um, in gasoline prices. Another factor here, Don, was, remember I said about six months ago, China was again in a shutdown mode. Their factories were shut down because of a serious outbreak of COVID. They're a big user of oil, but when they're shut down, they're not going to use as much. So that helped take some pressure off of prices. The big question, Don, that I get asked by people, by groups I speak to is, well, where are gas prices going to go uh, for the spring and the summer? We always have an uh, uptick in the spring and the summer because people are are are, um, are traveling more, so they're spending more in gasoline, which affects demand. And uh, the big what, the number that I hear that people are worried about is is four dollars a gallon. Will it get up to four dollars a gallon? I think that's possible, but I don't at this point I don't think it is is probable because of all the factors I said. We're really on an upswing in terms of oil production. Uh, OPEC has seemed to have backed off from their um, constricting supply, and Russia is able to fill fill some of the needs of other countries still, uh, like India. So I'm hopeful that for the the peak driving season this year, spring and summer, that we'll we'll maybe we'll get over four dollars a gallon for a few weeks or months, but I think primarily we'll stay under four dollars a gallon. Here's an interesting uh, question for you to uh, enlighten us upon. And that is, uh, we hear more and more about EVs, electronic cars. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the state of North Carolina has always 
basically supported its roads by a gasoline tax. Well, with right. EVs, that's that's going to obviously have to change, and there's already in some state of change. Uh, but also, uh, it will have an impact on the gasoline situation. Right. And also, it will have an impact on how long a car lasts, I would think. And uh, so what are you, what are the economists saying of how big an impact the conversion to EVs will be? How long will it take? Will it ever be complete? Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, there's there there are several issues in there. Uh, number one, North Carolina is getting into that 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 area, as you well know. Um, um, Vinfast, which is a Vietnamese auto producer of uh, of EVs, they're in the process as we speak of um, of uh, building. I think it's uh, is it a two or three billion dollar factory in Chatham County. Uh, they're going to employ several thousand people at very good wages. I think every sixty thousand dollars. We've got Wolf Speed. Uh, which makes computer chips, which again is, re I mean, anything you do in, uh, with vehicles now, you need chips. And then we've got uh, Toyota over in the Greensboro area has announced they are building, I think, a $4 billion uh, battery factory. So North Carolina is now in this area. Um, I really don't know how long it'll be, be to convert to EVs. And one of, I've actually done some research. And it's one of my concerns is we look at electric vehicles as a way to reduce carbon emissions, which is absolutely true at the car level. But what some people don't realize, you've got emissions when some of the metals that go into making those batteries uh, are produced, like lithium and cobalt, et cetera. And there's been some analysis. In fact, I just read a report out of the University of California, Davis, that says we got to recognize those uh, and we got to take we got to uh, we got to worry about those and if we don't maybe we're not actually any uh, net uh, we're not better at any uh, on net uh, there's another factor that you brought in there and that is to finance roads in north carolina i sat on a commission uh in north carolina transportation commission for two years where that's that's what we dealt with how is north carolina going to raise money for roads as we uh, change how we drive, I mean, we've relied mainly on the gas tax. People drive more miles; they don't pay more uh, tax for gas, et cetera. Well, as people move to EVs, uh, that revenue is taken away. Now, yes, we can charge uh, EV people who drive, who drive EVs, EVs a fee, and I think there is one in North Carolina. But uh, the research that that commission done did said there's it's it's not going to uh, compensate for the lost revenues if people buy less gas. Um, so I think we have an issue in North Carolina. How are we going to fund transportation projects in the future? One thing the state has already done, and one of the options we gave the state, and it was interesting that they accepted it, is to tap other revenue sources, sales tax. So we are now moving some sales tax money uh, that, of course, North Carolina collects to the transportation department for funding. Uh, but the big question and the one you always hear about is, well, look, if people if people's use of roads is dictated by how much they drive, how many miles they drive, why don't we just tax how many miles you drive? Then it doesn't matter what kind of fuel you have. That is, have a mileage tax. And we talked a lot about that. We recommended the commission I was on recommended that the Transportation Department or our political leaders look at that. And there's been a lot of pushback on that, but interesting, we had some poll numbers that was taken by a professional polling unit that found that younger people, younger people uh, actually are very favorably inclined toward a mileage fee. It's older people who, uh, who resist it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, if North Carolina goes down that road, I guess I, my bet is eventually we will. 
uh, that we will try to shift to taxing mileage rather than the particular fuel that you're using. And of course, how you implement that is important. What some states, there are some states who are ahead of us and that they are able to uh, use some um, technology that actually comes when people buy the car. They've worked with auto dealers or auto manufacturers that comes when people buy the car. And they've argued to us when we had one of those people come talk to the commission, say, hey, it's perfectly safe. It's perfectly private. No one's going to know where you drove, how much you drove, et cetera. It's all just for the the task of collecting uh, information on how far you've driven so we can apply a tax. So, yeah, this is certainly an, uh, a question that's in transition. Well, of course, with all the new uh, jobs that will be created by Wolf Speed and Toyota and uh, uh, Vincrest, uh, that's even more uh, cars on the road, especially in the Triangle Triad area. Uh, and, of course, one other thing that works against gasoline is we have insisted on cars becoming more efficient. So uh, people are getting more miles per gallon and that's right. less gasoline. So as you said, that that's one definite, I guess, that comes out of this. Is we're going to have to find a new way to tax those who use the roads and highways uh, in North Carolina uh, because the, the old formula just simply won't work anymore. And another, uh, another so, aspect, of, yeah. another, if I can interject on another aspect of this, is because you, you you started i thought you were starting down this road is uh, obviously here in the triangle we have a tremendous amount of road congestion every day i drove over to chapel hill this morning and when i was going down uh 15 south uh was, was back to back coming the other direction for as far as i could see and you can see the same thing if you go down south on on i-40 out of raleigh you see back to back people coming from county south and there's been some talk about in North Carolina us going to uh, maybe another uh, uh, high-speed uh, rail situation. That if it does, that's decades away. But uh, uh, I think that th that's another element of this. And of course, it's based on how we live, where we live. Uh, one thing that has certainly come out of the uh, pandemic was remote work. Now, everyone, every business, and Don, your businessman, I'm sure you have views on this. Uh, all jobs can't be done remotely, but some can. And uh, I think we're probably going to use that as a method to sort of uh, deal with many issues at one time. Uh, it's going to save the business person some costs in terms of uh, their office buildings, but it could also allow people uh, the option of living somewhere else, maybe in a cheaper area, and not having to commute every day, with which would take pressure off a vehicle. So I think you're going to hear more multiple Con, uh, multiple ideas come out of remote work. It's not just for the convenience of the worker. It might help the environment. It might allow the family to live somewhere where prices are much more reasonable. Well, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, also, the uh, traffic counts are so different now from day to day. They were for years far more consistent Monday through Friday. And now Thursday is by far and above the busiest day of the week, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. And uh, Wednesday, I think, is second. But there's a big difference between Thursday and Friday. Yeah. And I would think and, that. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I, I think 
you, you probably saw recently there was a, a increasing discussion about maybe we should go to a four-day work week and, and give people Fridays off, and maybe that's already happening in some places. So yeah, there there if we can get more work done in fewer in in fewer days uh, and keep people off the roads or reduce the use of words roads, that'll certainly help environmentally. That'll certainly help in terms of traffic congestion. So you know the one one interest one one thing good thing about living right now, I think, is there are a lot of things that are going on. A lot of issues that we may be able to deal with. And I think it's going to cause the next several decades to be a very, very interesting decade, set of decades in a positive way in that maybe we can address some of these issues like pollution, traffic congestion, cost of housing, et cetera, in some innovative ways that uh, where in the past we were only talking about them. Well, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, one day I think it would be interesting for someone to write a book and maybe you <laughs> on what is the most interesting 50-year period of time in the past that you would say was the most interesting uh, economically, uh, uh, from an economic point of view, what were the interesting elements of that uh, that five-year period or 10-year period or 50-year period? So maybe I can talk you into writing a book like that. <laughs> Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and he is uh, the retired professor of economics at North Carolina State University. And we'll be back. And when we come back, we're going to talk about mortgage rates and interest rates uh, and uh, population growth and broadband and some other topics that are of interest. And we'll do that right after these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest on Carolina Newsmakers this week is Dr. Mike Walden. He's been a frequent guest of our program, and uh, you are always working on books. What are you working on right now? Well, uh, just to plug one that's out, I, I wrote a book that was published last year that actually talks about all the things I was talking about in the last segment about maybe people could could remotely work, which allow them to live in maybe small towns, rural areas in North Carolina where the cost of living is is less. It would mean less commuting, et cetera. And it's called Relaunch, um, how the family can, uh, the American family's uh, dreams can be improved in the post-pandemic economy. And that's available where books are sold as well as online Relaunch. Um, I'm um, working on two other books right now, Don. One 
is a very, uh, I call it, um, uh, what do I call it? The 60-minute the investment guide. It's um, investing in something that I've, I've been interested in for a long time. Beginning my career, most of my talks involved investing. And I've got a lot of people, friends in the investment world. And of course, every, every household goes through this. The problem, I think, is that, well, two things. One, people really need to know some information and, and not that investment advisors aren't trustworthy, but I think people need to understand what's going on. And it's not really hard to know. The problem is, in my mind, that in order to have access, usually you have to plow through 50, 40 page, maybe a 100 page, 200 page book or pamphlet or something. So what I've done in this, uh, I forgot a draft of it, the 60 minute investment guide, if I've, I've given people a, a book they can read in an hour, uh, they can understand it. it. It doesn't cover all the investment uh, questions, but it highlights about three or four key ones that every every household is going to go through. I've got some computer programs that will go along with them, so I've got that. And then Don, I've you know I dabble in uh, fiction. Uh, I've written along with my wife Mary. We've written four fiction books. Again, you can go on Amazon to my author page and see them. One of them is we have a series, it's called, they're called economic thrillers, which a lot of people raise their eyebrows. So how can economics be thriller, thrilling? But uh, we sort of tried to teach economics through a, a thrilling story. And uh, we're working on the next installment of that. We've got a character who, re re who reappears in all, in all of them. This will be the fourth. I actually have a political thriller that's the fifth. So that's keeping me busy along with my consulting projects, along with speaking. So um, I think you have, a, have to have a plan when you're retired. I like to be busy and I'm continuing to be busy. So thanks for asking. <laughs> well, you're always up to something interesting and always have been. And so the, I, I don't see that about all you retired from is the classroom. That's about it. Otherwise, it's pretty much business as usual in, in the case of Mike Wallen. Well, let's talk about interest rates and mortgage rates, mm -hmm. because uh, uh, I'm sure our listeners are very interested in where you think interest rates are going. Um, and also mortgage rates. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll talk about the Federal Reserve and their interest rate policy. Uh, one of the powers of the Federal Reserve, Don, is they control a couple of interest rates themselves. They can move up and down. Usually other interest rates follow. So indirectly, the Federal Reserve can push uh, your mortgage rate, your interest rate on a personal loan up or down. They've been moving their key rates up. Uh, the most, most key is called the federal funds rate. Essentially, they pushed it down to zero during the pandemic to encourage people to borrow money and spend because the whole point was keep the economy afloat. They've now, now moved that up to close to 5%, 4.75%. I think they're going to go further. Uh, they meet, uh, what, every six weeks, I think. I think they're going to go further. My uh, forecast is that federal funds rate will go up to six. And that should, <clears throat> that should cause excuse me that should cause other interest rates to follow for example the um got to take a sip of water sorry sorry the 30-year uh, <clears throat> mortgage rate which during the pandemic had gotten to the unbelievably low level don of under three percent unheard of it is now i just looked this morning it is now over seven percent it had had actually trended downward about six months ago but it's back 7%, so that'll probably uh, go higher. So uh, this will all make it more difficult. I know people ask me, well, Walden, why are they doing this? Uh, I want to buy a house. Well, actually, the Federal Reserve doesn't want you to buy a house. They want, again, to slow down spending in the economy. And for, for solace to the people who ask me that question, I say, well, it could have been worse. They say, well, how so? Well, I say, when I tried to buy my first house, my wife and I, 
in the early 80s, I, I say to them, do you know what the mortgage rate was, the average mortgage rate? And they say, well, no, I don't know, five, six percent. I said, I say, try 17 percent. And they don't yes. believe me. They don't believe me. Yeah. So it, it could be worse. But I do think for the for the force near future, Don, interest rates are headed up. I'm fingers crossed if, if the Federal Reserve is is uh, is able to get the inflation rate to a much lower level. Again, I, I earlier talked about maybe four or three by the end of the year. I think they'll start to let up on the break. I think they'll start to, to lower interest rates. Possibly a year from now, they might be in an interest rate lowering mood. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. And as, as we've said, the economy seems to have kind of a mind of its own these days because there's so many conflicting things that are going on that uh, um, seem to conflict uh, uh, and can, and could have a big impact on changing. I want to get back to something we talked about earlier, and that's the long-range role of our country and its relationships with India and China, mm -hmm. uh, because these are two huge companies, countries, and we have a sort of a different relationship with each of these countries, and they sort of have a different philosophy of where they're going. So where do you see them going? Well, um, a lot of people don't know the history of this. I know you do, that China came out of World War II, an extremely devastated country. Uh, it had been uh, somewhat economically a backward country for most of the 20th century. It had had a lot of foreign powers in, in the country uh, controlling things. So they came out of World War II very, very poor. Uh, they had been taken over by, by the communists. Mao Zedong, of course, was a dictator for many, many years. And his uh, his goal was to bring China back. China, of course, a um, thousand years ago was a prominent country, probably the most prosperous country in the on the globe. Um, big breakthrough, big change was when President Nixon, former President Nixon, who had been a, a vowed anti-communist uh, during his uh, political career, he went to China. He was totally surprised the world. I can remember this. I was in graduate school and totally surprised the world. Went to China, shook Mao, uh, shook Mao's hands open up natural relations with China. And that started the, the bonding, if you will, between the U.S. and China. And China had a, a, a lot of laborers there. And so our co companies went over there and set up factories. Labor was cheaper they, so they could get products made cheaper and sell them cheaper in our country. Now, I think the question is, uh, with China now at an economic point where they can have a military that some say rivals ours and they're, they're rattling their sabers, they went Taiwan, there's talk about them uh, sending equipment to help Russia in the Ukraine war. And we are now at a more adversarial position in terms of geopolitics. We still are, are, are joined at the hip in terms of economics. And the question is, uh, can we uh, uh, break that joint at the hips? Can we start to move co companies out of the uh, China into other places, maybe India or back to the US? That's much easier said than done. But I think a lot of people are looking, and, and I think under President Trump, this started, and President Biden has also uh, raised concerns about China. The, the, the key here is, is can we live uh, peacefully with China? Can we, can we have normal economic relations with them? And can we have normal uh, foreign relations with them? And that's the big question. They mentioned India. India, a lot of people forget India. India is a massively big country. They're going to top China soon in population. Uh, they have immense capabilities. They have an economy that's that's headed in a in a in a, in a very robust way. And uh, some say that what needs to happen is we need to cozy up to India more. Uh, we need, if we're going to have foreign factories, have them in India rather than in China. 
And of course, China and India have not played well uh, each other. They've had little skirmishes on the border. Um, right now, though, India is not helping because they're buying oil from Russia. So that's not helping our our uh, objective of, of shutting off oil sales from Russia. So very complicated matter. But I think, Don, you put your point, your, your finger right on the key point. Uh, those two countries, India and China, they're going to determine a lot of what happens. In the world. My personal view is that the heyday of Russia is over. I think this. I think the war with Ukraine has been so devastating to them. And this is way outside my lane, but I think it's been so devastating to their economy, to their population, to their youth, uh, the kind of losses they're sustaining on the battlefield. I think at some point, just my view, Putin will be removed and Russia will sort of lick its wounds and say, hey, we're gonna play nice and, and they may, may very well. I think that means that China and, and India will be on the on the verge of eclipsing Russia. Where do you see uh, uh, India and China? Will they uh, embrace Russia before us or us before Russia? Uh, you mean a new Russia or the current Russia? I mean, China's no, already uh, China's already embracing the current Russia. And the, the latest concern is they're going to send, no. send weapons to, to Russia. They've been buying their oil. Uh, India's probably been buying oil not because they really like Russia and they want Russia to to um, win in Ukraine. I think they're buying oil simply because that's an option for them and they need oil to to improve their economy. Uh, so hopefully down the road, I mean, if everything worked out nice, we could settle our differences with, with China and be friends with everyone. But I think, frankly, probably we're going to stay the, the next Cold War, if it's not already started, I mean, cold, not hot, hopefully not hot, is between the U.S. and and, and China. I think that's going to be the big dynamic in the world. And uh, hopefully India is going to be an ally with, with the U.S. They've, they've been natural enemies with China. So I would think they would play be more on the side of the U.S. in this emerging uh, uh, rivalry. Where, uh, okay, so where does Japan fit into all this? Uh, well, Japan, of course, is is remilitarizing uh, with our with our um, um, uh, support. Uh, Japan, when they come out of World War II, it essentially said we're not going to we're not going to maintain an army. Uh, we you know, the, the horrors of World War II, and we're going to be very very passive. We're going to be pacifist. They spent a very very a modest amount on military, more for uh, uh, personal security in, in the Japanese islands. Uh, now they see the threat of, of China. So I think, I think if I recall right, uh, correctly, they've recently announced they're actually going to double their their military budget, their defense budget, and as a percent of uh, gross domestic product. So I think we're we're hoping and we're looking. I think if we, if we do have some kind of engagement with China, I mean, certainly we we hope that doesn't occur. But let's say if if China invades Taiwan and we come to Taiwan's help, I might, I would expect that Japan would be there uh, helping us. I think also the Philippines would be helping us, but I think Japan is much more capable militarily. Well, it's an interesting dynamic that's going on. And of course, you know, one of the things that's is interesting is can the United States and China afford to have a war with each other because of how much their economies are inter interacting? Yeah. Well, that you know that that was that was one of the theories because uh, I can remember there were folks uh, forty years ago who worried about if we start to engage China, they're going to grow and they're going to be at some point maybe a military threat. But the the there there was a point of view that said no no if you if you have economic relations with between countries and and they're each dependent upon the other, that's a way of to avoiding avoiding war. So I think you you've you know, we may come to a test of that, Don. We may come to a test of that because we've yeah. we've told I think I think. 
the Biden administration has has not shied away from from communicating the viewpoint to China that hey, if you invade Taiwan, we're going to be there for Taiwan. And uh, you're absolutely right. Um, China has built up a, a, an economy. They've built up the standard of living for their folks. They have a massive infrastructure. Uh, their financial cap, uh, financial capital. So hopefully, if if they make the decision that they want Taiwan, uh, they will come to their senses and say, "Is it really worth um, a catastrophic uh, situation for our country?" Because uh, I don't know how we would respond, but ultimately we would we would respond in a way that would take out some of the Chinese uh, infrastructure. So yeah, I think that there'll be there could be a test of that. If you have commercially tied countries, does that reduce dramatically the likelihood that they'll ever go to war against each other? We may have a test of that coming up. Well, we got I guess kind of a test with the Ukraine situation. Uh, well, we do. Uh, not that I mean, with uh, with Russia, our our uh, economic ties to Russia have been minimal when you compare our ties with uh, with uh, China. And yeah, I think we're having a test right now when China has made noises about well, we might we might provide some weaponry to to Russia. And we've already, I think, Secretary Blinken has already publicly said no, that wouldn't be a good idea. We would not like that. So we may have a mini test of that right now. Yeah. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. We have one final segment, and we're sort of wrap up uh, thoughts on the North Carolina economic situation and sort of review some of the things we've already talked about in this final segment. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden, retired professor of economics at North Carolina State University and uh, well known for his uh, opinions here in North Carolina on the North Carolina economy and uh, a person that so many people depend on for good advice in the area of projecting what's going to happen in North Carolina. Well, you know, I guess one of the things we can say about North Carolina is that it appears that we're going to continue to have population growth, especially in certain areas of the state. Uh, North Carolina seems to be a target of a lot of industry, and people find it pleasant to live here. So population growth appears to be something that we're going to have to learn to live with 
And that comes with burdens because the infrastructure has to be there. Uh, it does increase the tax base and uh, probably brings better paying jobs and things of this nature. But population growth is sort of a two-sided sword. And sometimes you have to be careful which end of the knife you're holding when you talk about things like that. You're, you're right, Don. I mean, I, I've lived in Raleigh all the time. I've been here in North Carolina, which is going on 45 years. Um, and I and I look, I'm amazed when I drive around Raleigh, for example, if I drive down Hillsborough Street from NC State campus to downtown, it's just amazing how Hillsborough Street has changed. I mean, you've got 30, 30 story, 20, 30 story buildings, and, and that's not just Hillsborough Street. So clearly, Raleigh is on the move growth wise, uh, Charlotte the same way, Triad the same way. I think the big challenge for North Carolina mm -hmm. is to sort of spread the wealth uh, geographically. Uh, because if you look at the data, clearly the big metros have been the, the, the sort of racehorses in North Carolina. Uh, they're on the map. Now, one of the things I use to gauge how important North Carolina has become was when you watch the weather on a national channel in the morning and they show the they showed select cities. Usually every morning it's either Raleigh or Charlotte is on there. It used to never be on there or, or sometime both is on there. So we, we've uh, we now hit the world stage, certainly the national stage. Everyone knows about us. You're absolutely right. Businesses want to come here. The challenge is if you bring all those people into the people are moving here and the businesses that are moving here, if you bring them all into the metro areas, you're going to get downside problems in terms of congestion, how, how your housing prices, et cetera. So I think our challenge is to sort of spread the wealth, uh, have some of those businesses locate outside of the big metros where uh, people need the jobs, where the economies are not as robust. Uh, and I think there are some ways to do that. I was talking, you were talking about, and I was adding to it about this, I think, an amazing development between the Triangle and Triad with the, um, uh, I'll call it the new energy corridor with uh, Wolf Speed and, and uh, Toyota Battery Factory and, and Vinfast. And the benefit of that is, uh, if you can visualize that, this is going to be able to bring in workers who are in rural counties, both north of I-40 and south of I-40, to work at those facilities, as well as a lot of other companies, smaller companies that are going to locate. So I think that's exactly what North Carolina needs, but we need it in other areas also. So I think that's the big challenge. How can we spread the wealth? How can we spread the companies? How can we spread the jobs, the good paying jobs? The other thing I might mention, Don, that we need to keep our eye on is that the, the the job market is always changing, but I think it's going to particularly change over the next uh, several decades as technology becomes more, more becomes more capable of doing things. And so we need we're going to need different different kinds of jobs going to emerge with different kinds of skill needs. And so we need to be ready to not not just train new people in these skills, but retrain existing people who may find that they're in a job that they were doing for twenty or thirty years. And Bama, it's gone. So they got to they got to upskill for something else. And the good the good news is we have extremely good community colleges. We have extremely good four year universities. But I'm talking about um, training programs that will be relatively to to the point and very short. Because think about if you've got a, a household where the the breadwinners, if you will, now find they need to change their skills. They've got family to support. They don't have time to spend four years or maybe even two years. They need rapid training. So I think we need to think about that. Um, I think we also need to think, Don, about even as early as middle or grade or high school about exposing students to uh, careers beyond just academic careers, beyond college. Um, I, I spoke to the home builders recently, and they were telling me about a 
they got funding from the General Assembly to equip a couple of big um, tractor trailer trucks maybe with this audiovisual equipment that will allow students to come in, sit down, and um, engage in sort of artificial reality of them working as a plumber or a welder, et cetera, to expose them to those kinds of jobs. And uh, they were telling me that they were they were getting great great response from the the students, saying, "Wow, I want to think about, I want to think about that." And actually, they're going to lobby the General Assembly to to do more of these. So I think we need to expose students to the variety of skills that are out there. Don't push them, but certainly make them aware that there are lots of skills out there that still require you using your hands, those old craft skills, and because uh, we need them. Very important part of the economy, uh, uh, and, and as we have growth, even more so because of the growth. Broadband. Uh, North Carolina, are we still slightly ahead of where we need to be? Uh, how much more do we need to do there? Uh, well, I don't have any precise numbers for you, but we're moving in the right direction. Uh, where was I down? I was in um, Sampson County, uh, Clinton, Sampson County, uh, doing a talk. And uh, before I got up on the stage, I was talking to, to folks at the breakfast table. We, it was a breakfast meeting. And uh, some, as I met some people who were involved in uh, broadband sales, and they were very excited about how broadband is expanding in, um, in, in Sampson County. And of course, that's going to be key. If you want, I talked earlier about the possibility of people working remotely, which will allow them maybe to move out of the metros where prices are high and congestion is intense, and, and still work at maybe a big company, a big tech company in the Triangle or, or Charlotte or whatever. But you need broadband. You need broadband to do that. And so it looks like we're moving in that direction. We're certainly not there with 100% broadband. I keep talking about how one of the solutions may be what, uh, and I'm, I'm just throwing this name out, everyone knows, Elon Musk has a company that um, has satellites in the air that are what are called low orbiting satellites. So the reception is much better than if you were dealing with a satellite 25,000 miles up. Uh, it's And um, uh, it's called Starlink. And uh, I saw they passed the million person uh, or million household mark in terms of customers. Uh, that might be another part of the solution uh, in addition to laying cable or stringing wires across telephone poles. But yeah, we got to get there. I mean, a modern economy, in the modern economy, every location that wants to be viable economically, or most every location that wants to be viable economically, needs access to high-speed internet. Well, economic growth, of, of course, is very important. And, and as we've talked about, North Carolina has, what, 25 counties that don't seem to have that problem right now. But we've got those other 75 that have varying degrees of problems with their economy. Some are more severe than others. Uh, where do we stand on uh, wind energy as far as a source of energy off the coast of North Carolina? Uh, I don't know the details on that, Don, but I do know that I think the governor uh, just signed or were close to signing a, uh, a plan uh, primarily for uh, Duke Energy for outlining a plan for energy delivery in North Carolina. And there's going to be heavy emphasis on solar. Of course, you can drive around, you see solar panels. I've not yet seen any uh, uh, wind turbine panels, but they may be there and they may be coming. Um, uh, interestingly, the plan also talks about the importance of nuclear. Um, there's some exciting things happening in nuclear, and I know people sometimes uh, put their hands up and say, ooh, nuclear, what happens if there's an accident? Well, 
I think the track record on nuclear is very, is it's very, very safe, and it also doesn't emit CO2s. Um, and and so we, yeah, we're I think we're in the process. We may have already been signed on the deal, but I think I think we did, or the governor did. So we're in the process of having a plan for, for North Carolina. The trick, of course, Don, is that we don't want to be in a situation where uh, we're in transition from uh, fossil fuel based to renewable based, or and I'm going to include nuclear as renewable, and um, uh, that we don't match. And so we have to endure some some uh, some blackouts and some uh, brownouts, et cetera. And of course, uh, Duke had we went we had an episode of that. Uh, what was it over the holiday period? So that's that's one of the tricks. And I think one of the big challenges for renewables is um, uh, storage, uh, developing the storage. And I think this plan that Duke Power has put forward is going to enormously increase increase their storage capacity. Uh, but we're not there yet. So there are a lot of parts to this that we have to make sure they all work in tandem so that when we do move, when we move, say, one step toward uh, renewable, that uh, we've got that covered so that we can take a step back from the fossil fuels. Mike, we've got a little less than two minutes for you to do this, but for those who have joined the program uh, after the first segment where we talked about inflation and recession, and interest rates, would you sort of bring us a final summary, uh, uh, repeating some of the information that you shared with us earlier in that first segment of exactly what you're expecting in the area of the possible slowdown in the economy? Uh, the well, we're in this, and you know, we're in this, we're in this situation, Don, where uh, the federal government, particularly the Federal Reserve, wants to slow the economy in order to contain inflation. That's one of the ways you do it. Uh, and we're in that process, and we're beginning to see some some indications the economy is slowing. Uh, I didn't mention tech companies. Tech companies have been laying off a lot of people, and I've had people say to me, oh, Walden, what's going on there? Is this the end of tech? And I said, no. Uh, tech employment exploded during the pandemic up 250%. And I think what tech has realized now, they, they overdid it. So they are pulling back a little bit, but they're still well beyond where they were uh, pre-pandemic. And that, that, in my mind, is certainly the industry, one of the industries of the future. So, so we're in a period of time here now where we're trying to have a slower economy in order to take the pressure off of prices, lower the inflation rate, but without causing a recession. That's the big trick. Hopefully we can do it. Hopefully the Federal Reserve can do it, but, but maybe not. But if we have a recession, in my view, in my view, and I, I will say most economists are in this camp. It'll be it'll be mild and short, maybe two quarters. Maybe uh, unemployment might go from three and a half up to four and a half. Uh, but still, that's very very low for a recession. So I think that's the big challenge right now in, in the sort of the macro economy. Some people say to me, "Well, Walden, uh, North Carolina's got such a strong economy. If we have a nationwide recession, we will we even feel it." Yes, we will. Maybe not as as bad as other places. Was it? Yes, we will. Even the big metros of Raleigh and, and Charlotte and the Triad, et cetera, will feel it. Uh, so this is the challenge this year. How do we get inflation to be lower to where people can afford things now, where they can they can have a chance of their income keeping up with higher prices without putting the economy uh, in, in arrears, if you will, with a bona fide recession, where importantly, we get a big drop in employment. I don't see that happening, but that is the challenge. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Always so interesting, and we appreciate it. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and find the entire broadcast. 
Or if you missed any of the segments, you can find those isolated segments. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He promises me faithfully that he will have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.